When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. I wanted to sort of have a two-pronged conversation today. And I was thinking before I start this, you know, so often I use that term conversation, but let's be honest, there's no conversing here. This is a, this is a monologue. This is me, you know, talking to uh, myself or to, you know, people out there in the internet filled with plenty of uh, digressions, both, both uh, necessary and and unnecessary. You know, occasionally people will complain about my less than linear train of thought as I, as I record these podcasts and, and sometimes I work on it and sometimes, you know, that's always going to be the case. I, I, I like to digress because there's always so many interesting facets to some of these different topics I discuss. But today I want to talk about two separate things and, and that's really, really revolving around, let's be honest, the, the COVID-19. Uh, first of all, the, the market reaction today has been uh, pretty, you know, swift, at least, in, you know, in the precious metals markets, which I'll talk about here in a second, more pronounced than maybe like the stock market. You know, today, as I as I record, the Dow is down 200, was down much more earlier today, but but has recovered some, uh, you know, over the past couple days has been down, you know, it's it's three, you know, 300 points off of its high is, and I'll remind you, all time high, but hasn't been a huge pronounced all that pronounced of a, a decline, despite the fact that the data coming out of China, which eventually you know we'll we'll see globally, we even see it in, in things like freight index, is just cratering. I mean, this is this is bad, right? And and you know the bond market, I haven't checked. You know, I can check right now. Even the U.S. ten-year yield has been maybe the better indicator of that, and more recently, precious metals as well. The stock market is is. Perplexingly, still at very high levels. Yeah, you know, even today, uh, the U.S. ten-year um, down uh, almost five basis points. Not all the way down at its kind of recent lows, uh, but you know, just off of that, you know, one and a half percent level. Uh, and that's that's more of a true picture. Not saying that bonds are, are a great safe haven asset, obviously, but. They certainly are going to be rallying, at least for the time being, in a bullish environment or bearish environment, and and they are right because of course yields and, and price moves inversely. Uh, you know another in, in in the economic sphere. Well, you know before I get to that, uh, I'll shift gears and real quickly talk about precious metals. You know yesterday, last two three days we've seen a pretty significant move to the upside, especially in gold. I mean silver as well. It's in the eighteen dollar range for silver. As I'm recording this, 1834, uh, it had been uh, a little bit higher, but but not a huge breakout on the silver side of things. But gold actually has been performing uh, very well, actually reaching as high as 1623, currently trading just shy of 1620. Right, that's that's a one six, not a one five. I mean, it's finally broken that 1600 level. It, it had an early January, if if you recall, back with the. Uh, the, the whole escalation between the U.S. And, and, and Iran. And and then it came back down to earth. And then, you know, within a couple of weeks, this coronavirus business came up and, and it's been rallying. And I mean, it's, you know, it's always a question of, of what it's been rallying on. But I think that's, you know, this COVID-19 has to be one of, if not the primary cause for this rally. And of course, it's, you know, it's all 
tertiary to, to what happens with this COVID-19 rally. It's not only a decline in economic growth in the markets, but also what are central banks going to do? And, and you know, the, the central bank that everyone's sort of watching right now is, of course, the People's Bank of China. The Fed and, and the ECB and whatnot are important, too, especially later on in the progression of this spread. But right now, you know, yesterday, actually, you know, according to Zero Edge, some, some traders were, were sort of disappointed with the PBOC and their decision to not uh, cut rates as much as, as expected. And, and they thought maybe wasn't really enough, you know, considering that the scale of this of this uh, decline in economic activity and eventually, you know, full-blown economic growth in China. However, more recently, they, they announced their January credit uh, growth statistics because that's really what happens around the world is credit grows and it rarely shrinks. And and I'll remind you, this is January. This is, you know, so it was the, you know, probably just the last two weeks that the coronavirus really came to the forefront of, of their domestic concerns. You know, for the first two weeks of January, it was very low level, you know, slowly increasing. Uh, but certainly this is maybe not as pronounced as what we'll see in in February. I don't know. But basically, you know, the overall total social financing statistic here, over 5 uh, trillion yuan. That was over 8, you know, 0.8 trillion more than than expected. And of course, this is yuan, you know, so that's a little bit less than a trillion dollars. We're, we're talking roughly a seven to one exchange rate here. But that's huge. You know, new loans, new yuan denominated loans over uh, a growth of over 3.3 trillion, right? Outstanding yuan loan growth, 2.1% growth year over year in January uh, versus December, which was 12.3%. Right, that is huge. M two growth, eight point four percent year over year in January, versus a consensus of eight point six above December's eight point two. This is the again zero hedge does a good job of putting this in context. Uh, beat expectations, which were already very high, and this makes it the single largest month on record in terms of credit injection. Right, and so for you know everything I said a couple weeks ago, based on what data we had at the time about China really not providing maybe the amount of credit injection that they had in the past in response to an economic slowdown, partly related to this COVID nineteen, but also stuff prior to that, you could forget about all that, and this isn't surprising. But they are obviously acting now. They're they're certainly a huge amount of credit growth in China in January. And, and this is coming at, I think, what, what I see as a very dangerous time because for two reasons. First of all, debt's already at crazy high levels at the corporate level and other levels in China, right? And you're just piling more onto that. But also, whenever you see you know, rate cuts and credit injection and all of that in, in any country by any central bank or, or recorded by a central bank or encouraged by a central bank, the other concern is always that, that I word, inflation. And, and China was already likely to deal with a fair bit of inflation in 2020, partly because of, of these ongoing policies, partly because of maybe a, a devaluation of the Iran, partly because of uh, this, this African swine fever, not the swine flu, but the swine fever, which had taken out a huge amount of their swine, their pork population. They're, they're going to have to import a huge amount of pork already into the country. Who knows what it's like now with, with the further disruption of agriculture and, and poultry and cattle and all that uh, within their borders. Uh, and, and that had already caused and would have likely continued to cause a large amount of inflation 
uh, really centered around food inflation, but maybe you know, more broadly speaking, just inflation. And uh, that was already going to be the case. And yet, you know, you add on to it, you know, more easing as well as just poor economic growth, potentially societal unrest from all this. I mean, you might see what some people would call a deflationary period in terms of, you know, eventually, you know, this credit growth, even money growth uh, declining. But but it's going to be, I think, pretty inflationary for the yuan, just like, you know, a similar crisis, similar events, which will eventually happen here in the United States is going to be inflationary for uh, the dollar. You know, but but this is hardly, you know, just a Chinese problem. More data. This one about the cash freight index, which is pretty good gauge of of trade, global trade, down nine point four percent year over year trade in January. But again, this is January. The effects from this COVID nineteen were limited. You know, maybe the last week or two, but still relatively limited compared to what February and March and April and etc. will probably be. Still pretty limited. 9.4%. 9.4%. And and so what is February going to be year over year? I mean, down 15%, 20%. I mean, no number would really surprise me unless it's, you know, a beat to the upside. Um, that's that's huge, right? So this is a global problem. To some extent, this problem, this was already a headwind before any of this began, you know, this COVID-19 stuff, or as it was beginning. Right, but let's shift gears. Talk about COVID nineteen. Uh, a lot of interesting developments just in the last twenty four, even forty eight hours since I last uh, put out a podcast. I think that was on on Tuesday. Uh, you know, yesterday the numbers out of the Hubei province, which have been phony for the longest time and continues to be so, we're we're really, I guess, underwhelming. I mean, not, and again, that's not surprising. These numbers are, are doctored, you know, and and it was a pretty you know low case count. There's still a fair number of deaths. I think over a hundred, but a relatively low case count. But, you know, as I've been saying, you know, we have to start looking elsewhere because the data out of China and, and you know, out of China is going to be probably doctored. And, and out of Wuhan, even if it wasn't doctored, it was going to be inaccurate because just the scale of the outbreak. And uh, sure enough, we have, uh, well, we have a lot of interesting storylines that are that are emerging. First of all, in Beijing, more, most recently, uh, an additional uh, 36 cases bringing it to 45. So prior to that nine, you know, this is a, what, a four or five fold increase. Somebody do the math, but nine to, to 45 total cases in Beijing. Uh, and that's, that's confirmed. I mean, a city like Beijing, there's gotta be more unconfirmed, undetected, asymptomatic, whatever cases. Right. And, and once you get to that double digits, dozens of, uh, of cases in a large city, it becomes very difficult to contain something like that. And there's already talks, rumors, maybe even reports that, that, Beijing, China is is considering a, a Wuhan style lockdown, quarantine. You know, this is from Zero Hedge, and I don't know how up to date it is, but but that sounds like what it's heading towards. That it's, you know, some rumors. We'll see. Maybe forty five isn't enough uh, to, to spark that. But I think if China's maybe learned anything from Wuhan, it's that the case counts likely higher than forty five, even if that number is legit and it's not doctored for for international export. Uh, to, to media, uh, even if that is legit, there's almost uncertainly, uh, almost certainly more cases than just 45 out there, and so maybe that's what they need to, to control it. Uh, because pretty soon, you know, air travel out of Beijing is going to look a lot like what what air travel out of Wuhan is going to look like. And 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 in the meantime, guess what? You're going to have that domestic air travel, even if 
we're not just talking international, you have that domestic air travel and, you know, air travel out of Shanghai and Guangdong and all these other cities and provinces. And they're going to look a lot like what Wuhan's looked like for the last couple of weeks. Basically nothing outside of countries evacuating their own, their own, uh, citizens in those countries, students, workers, etc. Uh, so, so that's Beijing. How about Iran? You know, yesterday they confirmed two cases in their country, which is like, okay, that's, you know, that's understandable. But then, you know, later they said, well, actually, you know, we have, we have two confirmed deaths or, or pretty darn close to confirmed. I don't know the, the latest news on it, but two deaths due to this COVID-19 in Iran, which is uh, kind of a big deal. When you had the first two cases quickly being reported as deaths, what that tells me is statistically speaking, you know, maybe this is crazy deadly or maybe it's just crazy deadly to Iranians. Or, but but statistically speaking, even if the death rate is 20% and all these numbers out of China have just been bogus, well, that means that A, from what we know, these two cases have probably had it for a long time, a number of weeks, had plenty of opportunity to spread it to individuals because it, you know, generally the course of this has been that it, it you know, these fatalities in many individuals, maybe some die early, but a lot can take quite a while to die. Uh, but furthermore, if there's two deaths, there's probably, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of cases, depending on what statistics you buy in terms of case fatality rate and et cetera. And this has been, you know, uh, more specific as of right now to the city of Coms, Q-O-M-S, uh, and, and, and they're, you know, certainly locking, locking down travel in and out of the city and whatnot. Iran is, uh, and, and, you know, Iran's hardly the best source for, I mean, it's, it's almost surprising, you know, given, you know, maybe their history with, with controlling data coming out and within their own borders, but, but certainly interesting and, and concerning. But then on top of that, you have more cases from the, uh, the Diamond Princess, passengers which have now all been released and are you know going back to their respective countries for an additional quarantine but more confirmed cases uh some more deaths internationally i'm not going to go over exactly where they all are because i don't have them all in front of me but then in in south korea a huge uh spike in cases there as well in fact i can't even give you these numbers here uh right now you know outside of china the leader in confirmed cases is, well, it was the Diamond Princess, which you know people have now disembarked. Uh, but in terms of confirmed cases, other than that, is actually South Korea now with 104, with one death so far, but 104 cases, right? And then it's Japan with 94, you know, obviously with an asterisk of, I get all this from bnonews.com, by the way, asterisk, you know, some of those were from the Diamond Princess. And then Singapore with 85 uh, and, and on and on, you know, some other ones in double digits. But, but, you know, the situation with Iran is, is really, well, first of all, South Korea, I mean, there, that's a lot of cases, and certainly there's probably many more undetected, as has been the case with a lot of these, and, and once you get into that higher case count, it's just so difficult to control, it's, I mean, South Korea, Japan, how long is it before they descend into, I mean, all of Eastern Asia, I mean, South Korea, North Korea, Japan, you know, with all those Southeast Asian countries, Malaysia, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, the Philippines, Indonesia, how long is it before they experience very similar situations? And eventually, you know, uh, Nepal, Bangladesh, India, Sri Lanka, you know, how long is it before they look a lot like, like what's happening in China, right? But Iran is really interesting because again, it's, it's going along with what I've been saying for a while now, that there's probably healthcare systems, countries and healthcare systems out there that have this spreading covertly. People don't even know it yet because they can't test or they, they don't 
realize that they should be testing or they just don't have the resources or the scale of it is just too large in some of these smaller communities or overloaded healthcare systems. And Iran is, you know, Iran's not, it's not like a, Iran is, I don't know, like, like a country like maybe Somalia in terms of their healthcare infrastructure. I, I'd expect it to be much better than that. But, but it is a country that has struggled under uh, pretty significant sanctions, uh, crippling sanctions, major recession or economic depression over the last uh, year plus. And, and they're hardly not in a good position to deal with this. How many other countries are dealing with this as well? We just, we just don't, they don't even know it yet. And this is all just kind of confirmation of what I've been saying. But again, this is going to take time because of the incubation period, because of, you know, the nature of a spreading disease, how it, how it, you know, doubles from one, two, four, you know, and they're saying the doubling on this is still, you know, maybe not a full week, but, but, you know, I think this, I, I heard maybe five, six days at it. And it is obviously very variable depending on the R naught and how that changes from, from situation to situation. But but it's going to take a while, but but these cases are certainly out there. And, and Iran, I think, is a is going to be far from the last country to, to surprisingly announce, hey, we, we have a pretty large outbreak underway. As always, thank you, every one of my listeners from the bottom of my heart, for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.